Good morning. So if you weren't here last week, you're probably wondering what in the heck is going on with this wall. And I kind of want to leave you in suspense for a little while. I'm going to come back to this a little bit later in the service, but I will just give you a, a brief heads up that if you call Grace your home church, there's a whole bunch of different teams that we're going to give you an opportunity to get involved with at the end of the service today. But I'll talk more about that in a minute. So if this is your first time or maybe your first time in a while, we're wrapping up a series today called Lessons in Leadership, where we are looking at an absolutely phenomenal leader whose name was Nehemiah. He lived 2,500 years ago and he wrote a memoir about his life and it was preserved in the Old Testament of the Bible called Nehemiah, very fittingly. And, um, and so we've been trekking through this whole series, looking at different lessons from his life. And today we're, we're wrapping up. Today we're, we're looking at the final leadership lesson. And it's pretty cool because today we look at how they finished this massive wall around the great city of Jerusalem. And they did it in 52 days. Now, that's unbelievable. And for all of us who live in D.C., when we think about construction projects, we should be absolutely floored that 2,500 years ago, they could complete a construction project in 52 days. Have you ever seen a construction project here done in 52 days or less? Ever. Okay? So this is absolutely phenomenal. And what is even more phenomenal about this is considering what they were facing. Now, if you weren't here last week, it's absolutely incredible. So Nehemiah rallies his people, the Jewish people, to build the wall back around Jerusalem. They get halfway done with the project, guys. They're at the halfway mark of the wall. And all of a sudden, all the surrounding nations on the north, the south, the east, and the west realize what is happening, see the progress, and they come together and they're like, we're going to thwart this effort. So they got enemies on all sides. They're freaking out. They're fearing for their lives. There's rubble everywhere. Morale is low. Everyone is exhausted. And Nehemiah rallies the troops. We talked about this last week. He rallies everybody together. And he says, listen, you got to forget all that. Forget our enemies. And remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And let's go do this. And Nehemiah rallies the troops. He says, we got to remember that God is the one who called us to do this. And if you were here with us last week, you remember that the big question that you need to wrestle with, if you're here to, today and you're at a place in your work or in a relationship or some big challenge that you're facing, and you just don't know that you can muster any more energy, any more strength, you're at a crossroads in your life. The number one question that you have to wrestle to the ground is, is this something that God has called me to? And if you can get clarity on that question, it changes everything. And that's what Nehemiah was able to do with his people. And so they charged ahead. They continued on in rebuilding this wall. Now, that was Nehemiah chapter 4. Today we look at chapter 5, and just when you think it couldn't possibly get any worse, I mean, how could you be surrounded by four different enemies on all sides, right? How could things get any worse? It actually does get worse for the people. What we find out in Nehemiah chapter 5, if you brought your Bible, um, feel, free to, feel free to turn there. I'm going to kind of set up the verses we're going to look at in just a second. But basically what was going on is there was also a famine in the land, and so there's a major food shortage going on. 
And the people cry out to Nehemiah, and like, you know, we've got mouths to feed, and our kids are starving. And they were starting to take out loans to be able to just to, to eat. And then they were defaulting on the loans, and so some of the people were losing their land, and in some extreme cases, some of them were losing their children. They were having to sell their children into slavery in order to pay their debts, just in order to survive. It was a desperate, desperate time that Nehemiah was facing. And the worst part about all this from Nehemiah's perspective, who is now the governor of Judah, he is the leader, the worst part was, that the Jewish people were being exploited, the poor were being exploited by their own people. And so Nehemiah does what any decent leader worth his salt does. He seeks to rectify that situation, and he leverages his power and his influence to make things right. And he, he gets the rich to return the land back to the others. He gets, he gets them to forgive debts. And he, he takes major, major pressure off of his people in that way. But then what he does next, and this is what we're going to land on today, and we're going to look at, he does something. I mean, just kind of stepping in and and making sure justice is happening, I mean, that's like minimum requirement of a leader. Any leader should do that. But what he does next is absolutely phenomenal. And that's really the lesson that I want us to focus on today. We find it in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 18. And I'll read it to you. Nehemiah writes in his memoir, he says, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, Judah was the province that Jerusalem was in, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, remember King Artaxerxes was the king of Persia, the Persian empire that ruled the whole region, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I didn't act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing even though I regularly fed, check this out, 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. Makes you hungry just looking at that, doesn't it? And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Now, you talk about a leader that these people would have loved to follow. It was Nehemiah. He knew how desperate the situation was with this food shortage. And so he basically said, look, even though I've got a whole government to run and I've got all these public servants and officials and all this stuff that has to happen for the country to go, I'm not going to, uh, forget the food allowance. You know, I'm not going to go around and, and collect portions of people's crops and their animals and all that to fund this whole operation. We'll figure out another way to do that because the, the burden on the people is so heavy. So he, so he made a personal sacrifice on this one. He said, you know, they've got too much going on. I'll figure it out. And you guys, that must have been huge. That must have been huge for the Jewish people. To know that their governor was like, you know, I'm not going to, no tax at all. No tax at all. Okay? This is too much of a time. But 
the most powerful thing I believe that Nehemiah did was actually where he chose to spend his time. See, he wasn't just holed up in the governor's mansion with his servants all around him while everybody else was working so hard on completing this wall. He writes, I also devoted myself to working on the wall and not just him, but who else? All of his personal servants, every single one of them. He said, you, now's not the time for you to cater to my needs, okay? We're all going full on, full board on this wall. So when Nehemiah rallied the troops, and he was awesome at rallying the troops, he didn't just say, forget our enemies and remember the Lord and let's go fight and let's go do this thing and you guys get after it and if you need anything, just give me a call. No, no, no. He said, let's go do this and I'm right there with you and I will give you everything I've got and all the men I've got. We will all be in this together. If you want to write this in, here's the leadership principle for today. Great leaders don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. Nehemiah didn't just cast a vision. He carried some stones. Nehemiah didn't just roll out a plan. He rolled up his sleeves. See, what Nehemiah knew is that leadership isn't just about inspiration. It's about perspiration. Great leaders don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. Fifty years ago, this past week, we celebrated the anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Dr. Martin Luther King's arguably one of the greatest leaders of all time. And you talk about a guy who could turn a phrase. You talk about a guy who could get people fired up. You talk about someone who could inspire people. It was Dr. Martin Luther King. But I'll tell you what. King didn't just rally a whole bunch of people and say, now go out there and let's fight for what we know is right. Did he? He was right out there on the front lines. He didn't just say, let's, you guys, come on, you got to march and I'll see you at the finish line. He was right there leading the charge. According to his wife's autobiography, King was arrested 29 different times in their protests and their acts of civil disobedience, fighting for civil rights in this country. Dr. Martin Luther King, he didn't just talk the talk, although he was one of the greatest at doing that. He walked the walk. That's what made him an incredible leader. I want to read a quote to you from an author and leadership expert named Ken Blanchard. He's written several books on leadership. And um, he writes about a principle called servant leadership. And that is essentially what we're talking about today. We talk about not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. That's ultimately servant leadership. It's getting down there and serving with your people. And so what, um, what Blanchard writes about servant leadership, I just love this quote. It is so powerful. This is what he says. It's in your bulletin. You also see it up on the screen. Blanchard says, servant leadership is all about making the goals clear. Okay, that's talking the talk. It's all about making the goals clear and then rolling your sleeves up and doing whatever it takes to help people win. Whatever it takes to help people succeed. 
in that situation, they don't work for you. You work for them. I want to read that last part again because that is so powerful. Do not miss this. In that situation, they don't work for you as the leader. They don't work for you. You work for them. And that is what servant leadership is all about right there. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. So Nehemiah, he was out there on that wall with all of his personal servants, and they were all on that wall. And you know, Nehemiah had just one goal on that wall, and that was to make sure he did whatever he could do in his power to make sure that all of his people were able to do what they needed to do. Okay, so he was like the main point person. And if there was an issue and there weren't enough resources, there wasn't enough material at one site or some tools had broken or whatever, he was deploying more people to go over to that area. If there weren't enough people working in a certain section, he was the one recruiting and gathering and redeploying folks to get there. He was just the ultimate servant of this team. And in fact, this is amazing, but in chapter four, in chapter four of his, of his memoir, you gotta read this thing, it's just incredible. He actually says that he had a trumpeter right with him at all times. The point of the trumpeter was so that if there was an issue, because you remember they had enemies on all sides trying to thwart this effort. Okay, if, if there was some sort of a, of, of a threat, there was some sort of a situation that they would have, Nehemiah and this trumpeter would take off to wherever that trouble was coming from. And as soon as they got there, that trumpeter would sound the trumpet, and that would be like the emergency alert system 2,500 years ago, pretty cool, okay, that they would, they would just flock to that area and take care of whatever the issue was. So here is Nehemiah, and he is just serving his guts out on that wall. He didn't just talk the talk. He didn't just rally his truth. He didn't just cast a vision. He didn't just inspire people. He walked the walk. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're in a position of leadership, like, if you lead people, here's the question that I want to put before you. And it's very simple, but it's incredibly profound. Those people that you lead, do they work for you? Or do you work for them? Do they work for you? Or do you work for them? Are they there ultimately to serve you and to help you achieve your goals and to help you get where you need to go as the leader? Or are you there to help them and to serve them and to empower them and to help them get to where they need to go? Now, obviously, we all know the right thing to say publicly, but I'm talking about your private answer to that question, your mindset, your attitude, because where you land on that question will dramatically influence how you lead your people, and it will dramatically influence whether they ever reach their full potential, and that team ever takes off and gets where ultimately you really want it to go. Now, you may be here in this room, and you're like, man, I don't lead anything. Like, I'm just getting started, and there's a whole bunch of people who lead me, but, you know, I'm, I'm not in that position yet, okay? If that is you, I just want you to take note of this principle, because there will come a day, and it will come sooner than you think, that you will be leading other people. And you know this from your experience. You have had people, bosses or teachers or whoever, okay? And you knew that really you worked for them, right? You worked for them. You were all about serving them. They didn't really care about you as long as whatever it got, got needed to get done, got done. But 
you also know, you've experienced when you had someone who was a true servant leader. And what they ultimately cared about was seeing you succeed, was doing whatever they could do to help you get where you needed to go. They were more interested in serving you and seeing you take off than vice versa. And here's what I want to say to you. Whether you lead something right now or whether you ha- that ha- opportunity hasn't come yet, when that day comes, I hope and pray that every single one of us in this room will realize the power of servant leadership. That the people we lead don't work for us. We work for them. One of the things that I love about this church is that this church really seeks to embody this principle. I don't know that we always get it right all the time. We're human and we make mistakes for sure. But we seek to embody this principle of servant leadership. You may think that the way the Grace Community Church is structured is that we have like a governing board and that board oversees the staff and then the staff here at Grace oversee all of our volunteer leaders, you know, our our volunteer team leaders, like all these teams right here and then our community group leaders and then those leaders oversee all of our volunteers and the rest of the congregation. Actually, it's the exact opposite. I want to show you a slide. This is really the way that we see things in our minds when we think about how Grace Community Church is structured. So the board of directors is really like the servants of all. We love to remind them that all the time, you know. You guys are nothing. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but really, their whole focus is what can we do to empower and resource the staff to be able to do their jobs as effectively as possible. And the staff's primary goal is what can we do to effectively serve and empower our volunteer leaders, our team leaders, our community group leaders? What can we do to help them? And then all of those leaders, their primary goal is what can we do to to give our volunteers and the congregation a greater experience so they can all serve and grow and realize their full potential to the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying we always get this right, but that's really how we see the structure of this organization. And I would hope that we're a church that doesn't just walk the walk, but we talk the talk. I'm sorry, I got that backwards, didn't I? It's harder than you think. Um, Now, you may be here this morning and you're like, okay, Derek, you know, that's, that's really great. And, you know, I could see how this could work in the church world because, you know, you're all about loving people and you're all about serving. You sit around, you sing Kumbaya, and it's so great. And this little utopian thing you've got going called church. But then when you get to Monday morning and the real world hits, this stuff doesn't work. You might be here going, that's just not reality. <laughs> Let me tell you about my job. They're interested in the bottom line. They're interested in the profit margin. They're interested in results. They don't care what the org chart looks like as long as we're getting stuff done. I want to tell you something. I spent, I started my career in the business world. I moved over to nonprofit and I have eventually landed working for a church. And I got to tell you that this principle is absolutely mission critical, especially in the real world. I want to read you a quote from 
Stephen Covey, who's arguably one of the greatest leadership gurus of our day. This is what Covey says. The global economy absolutely insists on quality at low cost. We've got to produce more for less and with greater speed than we've ever done before. The only way to do that in a sustained way is through the empowerment of people. When he says the only way to do that, he means to achieve maximum productivity. The only way to do that in a sustained way, okay, because you can like ride your people and you can beat your people and you can threaten your people, but that only takes you so far. You, you can't do that in a sustainable way. The only way you can get maximum performance in a sustained way is the empowerment of people. Now, how does that work? He says the only way you get empowerment is through high trust cultures and an empowerment philosophy that turns bosses into servants and coaches. Did you catch those last few words? That turns bosses into servants and coaches. So what Covey is saying there is if we, in this global marketplace that is so demanding, if we're going to achieve faster, better, and cheaper, if we're going to go at maximum productivity... The only way to get there in a sustainable way is when our people are so empowered that they're doing more than they could do if we were just, if we were just riding them, okay? The only way that we get there, Kavi argues, is when leaders start serving those they lead. When leaders realize that ultimately they don't work for you, you work for them. And there's tons of books that are starting to catch on to this concept. I mean, it's starting to be taught more and more widely that servant leadership is actually the way to get to the better bottom line. Yeah, it feels soft. Yeah, you know, it feels a little bit like hokey, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But it's really not. When your people are empowered, they will do far more than they will do when they're not empowered. So that's just an argument purely from a business perspective. But in our context, there's an argument that's even more important to us. In our context here, from a spiritual perspective, it's not even about the bottom line, is it? Ultimately, the reason that we don't just talk the talk, but we walk the walk, the reason that we're supposed to go and serve somebody is because that's what Jesus Christ calls us to do. Period. End of story. Look at what Jesus said about himself Recorded in Mark's gospel account, chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you're here in this room and you consider yourself a Christian, you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then these words just have to ring true in your life. There's no way around them. Jesus is saying, look, look, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to, but to serve. Think about that. If there was anyone who was worthy of being served, it was Jesus Christ. And he said, not even me. Not even me. 
Now, if you're here today and you're still trying to figure out Christianity, maybe you, like, you got a lot of questions and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're just exploring things, you're just checking things out, you, know, you get a free pass on this one. This is actually pretty cool. And you get to just laugh at all those Christians like, ah, see what Jesus said you got to do? You follow him, right? Like, you got to serve. But if, if that's not where you're at, you don't have to do that. You don't have to buy into this whole thing. But if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, then Jesus has set the tone. He said, look, ultimately, this is what it's all about. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? You got to serve somebody. That's our MO. And you talk about a guy who didn't just talk the talk. Jesus Christ lived this out every single day of his life. Think about this. What did he spend his entire ministry doing? Teaching people, healing people, serving people. And not just even in his life, but by his very death, he served us. It's actually through his death that was a ransom for many. What does that mean? Well, it means that he lived a life that none of us could live. And he died on a cross as a ransom. Ransom. It was a payment for all the sins, all the evil, all the injustice in the world. Jesus said, I will live a perfect life and I will take all that on myself as a ransom for many. So that if we just believe in Jesus Christ, then we'll be forgiven for anything that we've done. So even in his death, Jesus came to serve. And as followers of Jesus, those are our marching orders. We're there to serve people. Not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Now, it must have been pretty cool for those people that Nehemiah was leading 2,500 years ago to have Nehemiah out on that wall. Don't you think that was pretty cool? To have the, the governor of the whole nation the fearless leader, not just firing you up, but out there serving alongside you. I mean, that must have been a pretty awesome thing. Must have been a morale boost. If you're starting to get tired, you look over and you see Nehemiah right there. I mean, you can see how they were able to get this wall done in 52 days. That must have been pretty cool. But let me tell you something. How cool must it have been for Nehemiah to be on that wall? I mean, what a thrill. You see, Nehemiah, he didn't just talk the talk. He didn't just fire up the troops and then from a distance in the governor's quarters see that wall slowly day by day getting built. No, 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 no. Nehemiah was right there on that wall in the midst of the action. He was a part of it. What a thrill that must have been for a leader who didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk right there on the front lines. Now, I promised you that we would eventually get to these boxes. You're probably wondering, when is he going to get to this wall of boxes? All right? So let me just explain what's going on with all these. We've got our own little wall going on here. And all of these boxes have signs on them. And these represent um, the majority, not all, but the majority of our volunteer teams here at Grace. Now, the vision of this church, and many of you have already heard it, seen it, is to be a church for people who don't go to church. And what that means, we've been talking about this. We talked about this back on August 4th. We talked about this last week. But what that means is that we believe God is calling us to be a church that people who don't go to church absolutely love to attend. Just absolutely love it. And so here's the deal. Bring back my high jump bar one more time. 
Okay, it's the last time you're going to see this for a while. So if you are called to be a church for people who go to church, okay, a church for churched people, the bar is actually reasonably low. There are a few things that are absolutely critical that must occur for a church person to be able to come in and say, okay, okay, cool. All right, I got this. And, and here's what they are. You better have some place for the people to park. The facility better be unlocked. The lights better be on. Air conditioning needs to work. The notes better be on key, and you better be singing about Jesus. And when you preach, it better be out of the Bible, and it better be relevant. If those things happen, the average church person goes, okay, that was pretty cool. That was pretty good. There's a lot of other things that don't necessarily need to happen. Okay? The bar, maybe about here. All right? That's a bar that is fairly easy to get over in our opinion. But if you seek to be a church for people who don't go to church, if that's your goal, to create a church that people who don't go to church love to attend, there's a million things that become absolutely mission critical. And that's where these teams start to have incredible relevance. If you don't go to church, okay, you're not a church-going person, you decide, you, get, you eat some strange food the night before and you get a crazy feeling like you're supposed to go or someone invites you or whatever the case is, and you find yourself showing up here and you're like, what in the world am I even doing, okay? And you drive onto the property and you can't figure out where the heck to park, which is going to be an issue for us next week. I will tell you this right now, okay? Starting next week, it will become an issue. If you, if you can't find a parking space or you haven't seen because there were no signs out there, we got a problem. That's why we got our sign team. That's why we got our parking team out there. If you don't know where the entrance is and how to find it, if you don't see our greeting team and our newcomers team out there w- welcoming you in, you may just get discouraged and be like, I don't even know. What am I doing? I'm just going to go home. This is a sign that God didn't even want me here. If you're in the lobby and you're starting to feel awkward because you came a little early because you didn't want to look like an idiot walking into church late and you weren't sure what they were going to do to you then, okay, and you're, you're kind of fumbling around and there's no one there who seems like they're happy that you're there, there's no newcomers team to kind of help, to help you get your questions answered, and maybe you're not coming back the next week. That's what our newcomers team is all about. That's why we have the food on that hospitality table. It's there for people who don't go to church to feel comfortable because it takes the edge off. And let me tell you, if you've got kids and you don't really go to church and you drop them back in Graceland and things look totally chaotic and unorganized, what do you, what is your, where's your mind the whole service? It's on your kids, making sure that they're okay. That's why we've got a whole army of people back in Graceland. And if your kids come out like, oh man, it was terrible, it was so boring, mom and dad, do I have to come back next week? Are you coming back next week? That's why we are killing it, killing it back in Graceland, doing everything we can so that your kids will walk out of there going, that was awesome. Can you believe what we did this Sunday, mom and dad? That was so cool, we got to come back next week. Which, by the way, there's going to be a major party next week, so you kids aren't going to want to miss that. I'm telling you right now, Okay. All these things. I mean, I, I can't even go into them, okay? I, 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 can't, I don't even have time. But the bottom line is that all these teams seamlessly working together, if they're not there, the person who doesn't go to church, who's basically got a one foot in the door, one foot out the door mentality, they're not coming back. And so what happens is the bar to reach the unchurched person and give them an experience that say, they would say, you know what, I was totally freaked out and I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. And I don't even know that I believe everything yet, but it... 
But you know what? I'm going to come back. To, get, to hit that target, the bar is so high. And the only way that this bar ever gets this high is because of all these teams right here. It's a whole army of volunteers. It's 135 volunteers every Sunday. Do you guys know that? 135 volunteers every Sunday to make this church service go, to create this experience for people. It is so incredibly important. And the craziest thing is that all these elements, all of you guys playing a part in all these things, all these things happen. And the unchurched person experiences all this stuff before the first word of the sermon is ever spoken. Do you realize that? We sit here thinking, oh, you know, I just hope the sermon's so good today, you know, because that's going to make the difference. It's actually all these other things that prepare the person to say, you know what? This was pretty cool. And even though the sermon was terrible today, you know, Derek was just awful. But, you know, but everybody, everything else was great. I'm going to come back. And you know what? What we found is that the person makes up their mind whether they're coming back or not long before they ever hear the first word of the sermon. So it actually is because of all you guys playing a role here. And and I just want to say this. If you're here and Grace Community Church is is your home church, I'm really, I'm talking to you, okay? What I'm about to say next. If if you're here and, you know, you're still new to Grace, you're still trying to figure it out, and you're not sure that this is the church for you, I hope that this just kind of gives you a little bit of a, a window into how things work here at Grace. And when you're ready, when you feel like you'd like to jump in, Hopefully now you get a little bit better understanding of how you can jump in. But if you're here this morning, and Grace is your home church, like when you come here, this is where you land, then I want to I give you an opportunity, okay? And the opportunity that I want to give you is, is this. As cool as it is to, to be a part of this church, and as cool as it is, and as relevant as the sermons are, and as great as the music is, and as much as your kids love it, and all that good stuff, and as powerful it is when you have a really moving experience in the service and you just feel like God spoke directly to you, as awesome as all that stuff is, it pales in comparison to actually being a part of achieving this vision of being a church for people who don't go to church. I mean, it's cool to experience it sitting in a chair, but it's another thing to realize you just experience something you're like, Oh my goodness, I played a role in that. I helped to create that. And when you hear a testimony of someone, and you're going to hear more if you keep coming here to this church, of people talking about how their lives have been touched and changed, you'll realize, I played a part in making that happen. And I don't want, if this is your home church, I don't want you to miss out on the thrill of being a part of the action, of being on the front lines. And so I want to give you an opportunity this morning to take a step and to get involved. Now, there's a couple things that I want to address. I mentioned these two objections last week. I got to hit this one more time. This is so, so important. You may be sitting here going, okay, Derek, I know, and I saw those tents outside, and I know where this is going. You know, we're getting ready to do a big sign up for all these different teams, and I know what you're going to say, but, 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 but here's the thing. I'm not here every week. My schedule's crazy. And, and if I'm serving, I probably got to serve every week, right? I mean, that's probably part of the deal. I'm barely here once or twice a month, Derek. Let me tell you something. That's totally cool. The average commitment on one of these volunteer teams is once a month. Is that workable? Once a month. You may say, okay, yeah, but here's the thing. See, my schedule changes. Like sometimes the week before, and I might be signed up, but then all of a sudden I'm going to be out of town. I get called out on business or whatever, and I don't want to be a person who commits and then I can't follow through on my word. That's a great one, right? Um, 
So I, I, don't, I can't sign up. Well, here's the deal. We deal with this stuff all the time, okay? Our teams are flexible. We look at your schedule. We get a game plan set. And if something happens, it's no big deal. You just send out an email and we make it work. Okay, this is one of the craziest cities in the United States in terms of people's schedules. And we deal with this stuff every single week. So don't let those things, don't let those things be reasons that you miss out on the thrill of being a part of helping to create a church for people who don't go to church, of holding up this, this high bar. If this is your home church, today is the day where you can get involved. Now, if you were here last week, you're like, yeah, yeah. We did this last week, exactly. Why are we doing it again? Well, because schedules are crazy. And so there's a whole ton of you guys who missed out on last week, and we want to make sure that we give you that same opportunity to get involved, okay? So if you were here last week, and you're like, oh my gosh, she's harassing me again. Okay, just ignore me, okay? Just ignore me. This isn't about you. It's about those who weren't here last week. And the reality is this. You guys, I don't know if you know this. We had 125 people who signed up last week to join volunteer teams. 125. Okay? And maybe just a quick visual, and then I'm going to dismiss us, um, and we're, we're going we're to go out to those tents, and those who want to sign up can sign up. Let me just a quick visual, and, and some of them are running out here right now. But, but um, how, how if, if you signed up last week, or you're already part of one of our volunteer teams at Grace, if you're leading or serving in some way at Grace, could you just stand up for five seconds right now? Ready? One, two, three, just stand up for five seconds. Just up. Come on. I know you don't want to do it, but just stand up real quick. All right? Fantastic. All right, please sit back down. Thank you very much. All right, I know you didn't serve to be recognized, but here's the thing. We had such a blast last week, and our goal is to see 200 people come in and be a part of this thing. We believe that God is just calling us and calling us to do this, to be this church for people who don't go to church, and it is an absolute blast. So here's the deal. As you walk out of here this morning, I'm going to dismiss this with a word of prayer. And then what I want you to do is I want you, and maybe you can look. We're going to show a slide up on the, on the screen here. So we have different tents that are set up. And they're, they're set up with different headings, okay? So you'll see in red, you'll, those are the signs you'll see on the tents. And maybe you're already thinking about, well, if it was going to join a team, which team would I join? So you go out, you find that tent that you might be interested in, and there will be someone there from that team, and they can answer any questions you have. They'll have a clipboard in their hand, and if you want to join in, then you, you just sign up right then. You can float around, take as long as you like. When you find the team that you say, that sounds kind of cool, I'll give that a shot, and you sign up, they'll give you a brick, okay? We're building our own wall outside. There's about 125 bricks in it right now. We got 75 to go. We're making our own wall, and it's back in the white party tent. Now, the white party tent is awesome, okay? That's your final stop. So the smaller tents, those are where all these different teams are. You get one of these bricks, and that's your ticket into the party tent. Now, once you get into the party tent, Okay, and that's where I'll be. That's where John's going to be after the service. We just want to shake your hand. We just want to say thank you for jumping in. But the party tent is our VIP tent. We got a whole spread over there of all kinds of delicious stuff. We're not past bribing you, okay? We're just not. But in all seriousness, the reason that's out there is this. We have a VIP room every single Sunday for all our volunteers who serve. If you're serving on that Sunday, not, not every Sunday, okay? On that Sunday that you serve, you can go in there, and that's like the refuel station. There's all sorts of goodies in there for our volunteers. It's just a way of saying thank you, and we want to make sure you've got enough energy for the job today. So that's a little preview. That's a little sampler. That's a little taste of what you get in the VIP room. And I can't tell you where that room is because it's, it's classified. You'll find out if you get one of these, all right? And then you'll be in the know. 
So I want to dismiss you now, and um, I, I cannot encourage you enough. If you've been waiting and you've been thinking, I, I hope that you can get beyond just talking about, yeah, one day I'm going to jump in and serve here at Grace. One day I'm going to get involved. I hope you get beyond just talking the talk today, and we could walk the walk. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this series. We had such a blast looking at Nehemiah's life and all these lessons in leadership. God, I just pray that we would be leaders who wouldn't just talk the talk, but we would walk the walk. And I pray every single person in here, God, if there's a next step that you want them to take, that you would make that clear to them today. In Christ's name, amen.